0: you are listening to the sun grove podcast for more information please visit our website at sungrove.org i love my church i love the head of the church jesus christ and it's interesting because i want you to close your eyes real quick Does everyone close your eyes and i want you to picture god what comes to your mind when i say picture god Some of you are thinking like an elderly-looking person, or you're thinking something shiny or light. Or Okay, you can open your eyes. And here's what I want to talk about for a minute. God is one in essence, which means God is made up of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but God is God. God is one. There's just one God. But he reveals himself in three distinct persons, and those three distinct persons, we, we call them persons, and that gets weird in English because we think people. But it's not three people, it's within three modes, if you will, three personages of God. And it's called the Trinity, and the interesting thing about it is the Trinity works perfectly in relationship. You've got God the Father, then you have Jesus, and you've got the Holy Spirit, but they're three in one, and here's how it works. The Holy Spirit's job, His main job, the Holy Spirit's main job is to reveal the truth about Jesus, So that's what happens. God's Holy Spirit in your heart and my heart reveals the truth about Jesus, who he is, that he is, who he says he is, he's awesome, he's Jesus, and and we reveal that Jesus is, in fact, God. That's the Holy Spirit's main job. Then Jesus' main job is to do the will of the Father, to give the Father glory and do the will of the Father. And then the Father's job is that he provides all things. It's just an amazing thing that within the Godhead, there is this perfect relationship that goes on and and what I want you to understand about that is God is relational you can't have God without relationship that in his very existence he is relation relational just like you are to some degree relational with your body and your soul That, that the soul's on the inside and your body's on the outside but you're pretty attached to it aren't you It's relational there's just a a natural component to it it there's body soul and spirit and you couldn't divide the lines on where one begins and the other ends But you're kind of relational is how god created you and me in his image And in the same way god wants relationship with us Which is a weird idea for some because you think really that he actually wants to know me. Yes That he's a good good father. Yes that he cares about me. Yes, God is relational, he wants relationship with you. But the hard part for us sometimes is maybe you're like me, I used to go down to the beach I went to Biola University, and not far from there is the beach, and on Sunday evenings, my, a roommate of mine and I, we would drive down to the beach, and we'd spend time just talking to God at the beach, because there's just something about the beach, right? You go out there, and you see the stars and the waves, and, and you can talk out loud, and nobody can hear you around you, because the waves are pretty loud, and you can just talk to God, and it was fun. And then on the way home, we would share about what we talked about at the beach, like well, I was talking to God about this, or I was praying about this, or here's what I just sensed God was talking to me about, and it's just very relational. God wants to have a relationship with us, but one of the frustrating things for me is I can't see God. You ever felt that way? You ever wanted just to be hugged, God? Sometimes I just want to physically be able to touch you or be hugged by you. I want to be relational with you, and one of the beautiful things is that God is not only relational and wants a relationship with us, but God wants you to understand the importance of having Christian friends around you. Uh, Friendships, uh, it would be nice if friendships were really easy to get and to keep, right? Friendships you have to fight for, friendships you have to work for. It would be nice if you could just get friends like going out with your Easter basket and picking up eggs and just putting friends in your basket. That's called Facebook is what that's called right there. right? It'd be nice if it was that easy. But when you look at social media, what is that? Social media basically is the highlights, the snapshots that people want you to see of their life. You don't see the whole movie, do you? You don't see the, the boring times. You don't see the nasty times. You don't see any of that stuff. You just see the highlights, right? Wouldn't it be nice just to make friends like that? But why does God want you and I to have Christian friends? And this is on your outline. I want you to grab a hold of this idea. It's probably there, and and I probably have already written it out. But it's that your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. This is essential, right? The company of fools suffers harm, which means you hang around a bunch of fools. Inevitably, that foolish behavior is going to come back with consequences in your life. The company of fools suffers harm, it says in the Proverbs. But what does it mean? It means that your friends help determine the direction and the quality of your life. Jesus, thousands of years ago, on this weekend, was going up on the first day of the week up to worship in Jerusalem. And he's riding on the colt of a donkey, so like a little, small donkey. And that was a symbol, of Jewish tradition in history, of, of kingship. That he is king of kings, he's lord of lords, and ultimately it was prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on the colt of a donkey. Well, the people see that they freak out, and so they begin saying this great thing. They begin saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and Hosanna, some of you think, well, that's just a really cool word, but the truth is the word Hosanna means, oh, Lord, save us save us here's Jesus and he's riding in on this colt and and he's riding into the the city of Jerusalem and the people see what's going on they start taking palm branches and laying them down they take their coats off and they lay them down in front of the dog they're like making this like red carpet treatment for Jesus and they're saying oh Lord save us but the interesting thing is they were not saying Lord save us from our sins nobody was asking him to do that at the time nobody what they were saying is oh Lord save us from Roman occupation We don't like having a foreign power telling us what to do. They were saying, Lord, save us from poverty. Save us from being destitute. Save us from our sickness. This is the miracle man. He can can make sick people well, blind people see, lame people walk. Save us. Then they were saying, Lord, save us in terms of material possessions. Restore to Israel and to our households the greatness that we think we deserve. None of them were asking for the forgiveness of sins. They were asking for a Messiah to save them, and sometimes your prayers and my prayers sound like their prayers, don't they? Oh, Lord, save us in my finances. Lord, save us in my politics. God, save us, and then you go on and on and on, right? And that's what they were praying to. But while the party was raging that day, those people were in it. They were loyal. They were all for him. They loved it. They were like, we're instant friends, But by the end of the week, many of them unfriended Jesus and led on by the chief priests and the tax collectors and others. They were shouting out to crucify Christ. And the people joined in saying, crucify him, crucify him. But while the party was good, they were good friends. Do you have friends like that? Friends like that, that while the party's good, it's going great. As soon as things get really hard, as soon as it gets really hard for a month and six months, And a year, and two years, and three years, and more years, they're suddenly not so loyal. They're suddenly not in it. They're kind of fickle. Well, Jesus gets arrested, as we'll look at later this week. He gets arrested. He gets tried illegally. It's going to be phenomenal as we unpack the trials of Christ next weekend. It's going to be absolutely kind of mind-blowing for you. It's going to be amazing to see just how great what Jesus did for us. But his friends, when he gets arrested, they flee. Jesus' disciples, they all run away. And they're scared, and they're hiding. And and they're very, very afraid. They were just kind of fickle. But to be fair to them, they didn't have God's Holy Spirit inside of them yet. They weren't bold yet because of God's Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. While they were with Jesus, God was with them. But as soon as Jesus got arrested and taken away, they became just regular scared people again. They ran away to hide. But in Acts... When the Holy Spirit came upon them after Jesus had been dead, resurrected, and then ascended back up into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes on these scared, timid men, and they become bold for the sake of Christ, and they begin to project and to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives. Many of them ultimately martyred for their beliefs and for the spread of the gospel. These bold, many uneducated fishermen now became incredibly bold, and it just tells me something. That for you and for me, if you and I have friends who have God's Holy Spirit in you, those people are going to be around you and be bold when needed, even when life gets difficult. Otherwise, we're going to be friends who are scared and run away. We're going to be friends who are, while the party's going on, we're there, we're loyal, we're good. But eventually, we might run, right? It tells me that those who have God's Holy Spirit in them determine the direction and quality of your life. That when you and I have Christian friends, if they have God's Holy Spirit in them and they're following God's Holy Spirit, it's going to determine the direction and quality of your life in a positive direction. There is an importance to having Christian friends. Now we've been studying the book of Colossians and today we're going to wrap it up. It's been a great study since the beginning of the year and it's just been phenomenal to go through and see what Paul is writing to these people in this church he's never met. But Paul was not only a great soul winner, Paul was a great friend maker. In fact, in the New Testament, there's over a hundred different named friends associated with Paul. A hundred. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, he names 26 of them alone in that chapter. Why did Paul, this apostle who used to be one who persecuted the church, one who was a Pharisee, why did he turn around and begin to make good Christian friends? Why did he need friends in his life? Why do you and I need Christian friends in our life. Today, I want to talk with you about the importance of Christian friends. If you have your Bible, open to Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. We get to the end of Colossians, and you think Paul is just making personal notes at the end. Sometimes if you're reading through your Bible, and you're reading through this letter, you get to the end, and you think, oh, he's just telling like little personal notes to a bunch of people, and you might browse through this or breeze through this really quickly you may think he's just wrapping up he's just landing the plane the meat is maybe gone and and now he's just you know naming names and just saying his goodbyes right in his letter but it's not until you and I unpack what's going on here that we realize that the meat is still right here that there is still good news for you and for me and he says this Tychicus will tell you all the news about me And he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Goes on and says, Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. These are not only the Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they proved a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling for you in, that you may stand firm at the will of in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor and Demas, send greetings. Give greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that the gospel, that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Remember that he's in prison, remember my chains grace be with you all. So you read this, you think he's just landing the plane. He's just wrapping it up. He's talking about names that we don't know who these people are, or whatever is what you might think. But when we begin to talk about what he's doing here, what he's actually doing here, you'll realize just the importance of having Christian friends. If you're taking notes today and you want to find friends, it's not only finding friends, but it's being friends, right? You want to find friends and be friends. You don't want to just find friends and be a really bad friend. You want to be a good friend, and you want to also find friends. So if you're going to find and be, you need to find and be faithful friends. Faithful friends. He says of Tychicus that he is a faithful minister. A faithful minister. What does it mean to be faithful? If we took a survey of everybody in the room and said, define faithful. All sorts of words would come up. In fact, a lot of them might be right here on your sheet. And I want to give you a picture, a snapshot of what it looks like to be faithful friends. You might be dependable. That's important, right? That you're dependable. You say you'll be there, you're there. You're dependable. You're a person of your word. And you might see that like we saw right here. That he's a faithful, a dependable friend. You might be truthful. That a friend is going to tell you the truth so you can trust it because they're truthful friends to you in life. It might be honest. Being faithful has a lot to do with honesty because you can trust it, that someone's going to tell you what is real, that they're going to help you, they're going to trust you. Number uh, Next one is trustworthy. That if you Think about it for a minute. If you're going to share your deepest and darkest secret with someone, you want to share that with someone that you can trust. Not just a little bit, right? You want to trust that, like, I know if I tell this to this person, I'm only going to open it up and tell it to someone I trust. And then if you trust them, you want them to be confidential with that information, right? You want them to be a faithful friend. So don't just let me tell you my deepest, darkest secret, but I want you to understand that I need you to hold that in confidentiality as a faithful friend. This faithful friend might be loving. And all these scriptures that are to the right just draw the parallel between faithfulness and love. I just haven't taken the time to be able to unpack every single scripture but you can look at those even during the week as you want to study during this Passion Week, things that God wants to bring to your mind. It'd be great to look up each one of these verses aligned with the, the character quality on the left. These people manage their abilities and property for the Lord's service. It's really interesting. In Luke 16, 11, it says this. Uh, let me find it here. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Who is, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Again, you want a faithful friend to be somebody who leverages whatever God's given them. Their time, their treasure, their talents in service to the Lord. That they're being faithful with my little... It shows that I'm going to be faithful to you as a friend. If I'm being faithful with my little, it shows that I can be trusted or faithful with much. So you're not going to give a lot of friendship to somebody who you think is untrustworthy. You want to have someone who manages their abilities and their property for the Lord's service. And last, that they're obedient to God's word. That part of faithfulness is that they're being faithful to the Lord, not just faithful to you. But you and I need to find and be faithful friends. So again, as we look here, it's not just finding people who are like this, but you and I to allow God's Holy Spirit to continue to grow us to become a faithful friend. It's so important to have Christian friends. So let me ask, can you think of a name of a faithful person that you know? Well, let me ask, if you know a faithful person, do you encourage that person? Do you encourage them? Because we not only want to be faithful friends, but we're seeing here among Paul's friends that encouragement is a big deal. And so you want to find and you also want to be encouraging friends. You say, what in the world does it mean to be an encouraging friend? Well, Paul gives us a little glimpse here. He uses the word encouragement in verse 8. That he said he's a dear brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 8, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. That's information, right? But then he says that he may encourage your hearts. The word encourage means to put a fresh heart into you. Think about that for a minute. Encouragement means somebody else puts like a fresh heart in you. Do you ever do that where you just feel like, I'm just, I'm life tired, I'm just discouraged, I'm just, everything's just, you know, it just feels like I'm just down, I'm low, and but you interact with somebody who's encouraging, and they just give you fresh courage. They give you fresh heart inside you. They give you belief again. They give you a passion again to keep going, to stand firm, to stay strong, to push through, right? Man, we'll, we'll drive halfway across the country to spend time with somebody who's encouraging, Right? Why? Because they put a fresh heart in you. Are you being an encouraging friend? Do you have maybe some encouraging friends? In verse 11, Paul says that several of these people have proved a comfort to me. They've proved a comfort to me. What does it mean to be a comfort? The comfort, the word there actually means like a healing tonic. A tonic would be like a solution, a balm, or, or a healing ointment, right? That there's a tonic that, that makes you feel better, and that's what encouragement does. That, that's what comfort does. I want you to understand that God oftentimes calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the great healer. That God's relationship with us, part of our listening and being led by the Holy Spirit is he is a healing to us, a comforter to us. He makes us whole on the inside. But not only that, God gives us friends on the outside who can be like a tonic to us. Let me ask you, are your friends tonic or toxic? Maybe you're hanging around with a bunch of discouraging people. They're not encouraging, they're discouraging They're just down all the time. Now picture yourself in hard circumstances. You're like Paul. You're in prison. You're saying, remember my chains. And they just go, oh, I hate chains. Chains are the worst. Yeah, they go on and on about how bad the chains are. I mean, you're going to be like, this is horrible. Versus someone who's like, man, hang in there. Stand strong. They're going to come alongside. They're going to love you. They're going to be there for you. They're going to put a fresh heart in you in hard circumstances. Let me ask you. Do friends determine the direction and quality of your life? What happens if you surround yourself with a bunch of negative people? What happens if you surround yourself with a bunch of discouraging people? Where will the direction and quality of your life be? Discouraged. The direction will be negative. I think one of the questions you and I ought to ask at a job interview is, how positive are the people who work here? Right? You just might get hired on the most negative group of people you know, in the entire industry. That might be important to know before you take the job, right? Because they determine the direction and the quality of your daily life. Friends are important that way. Paul needed encouraging friends in good times and in hard times. Who might you encourage this week? not only to have encouraging friends, but to be encouraging friends. Listen, one of my most encouraging friends in my whole life is Mike Millette. We knew each other probably in junior high, for sure in high school. Uh, My junior and senior year, I'm a year older than Mike and I discipled him, uh, which really meant that we got together and just walked through the scriptures and had a great time and became fast friends and just trusted each other. And it's just, you know, phenomenal. I just got to say, and then there've been different seasons where I went to Colorado for over 10 years from Southern California, went to Colorado. We were We were apart for 10 years. And then I came back and we worked together at the same place. And then after about a year and a half, that particular organization laid off eight people. I was one of the top people let go. And on that day, Mike Millette was the first person who said, I will come to your house. I will take care of your kids so you can have the conversation with your wife that you just got let go. That's an encouraging friend. A couple years later, Mike's back had some problems. And he was laid out for eight years years on his back eight years let me tell you if you go through suffering you find out who your friends are pretty quick don't you who's gonna be your friend at first month and then six months and then one year and then two years and five years and what happens when you're in chains in the chains of suffering you're gonna find out who your friends are real quick right Mike's an encourager. And one of the best ways I say it for knowing Mike for a long time, a lot of years, he's been an encourager in my life. I've tried to be an encourager in his life. And and I just look at Mike and I go, he just makes everybody around him better. How do you do that? How do you make everybody around you better? You become an encourager. So you be a faithful friend, but then you be an encourager. And guess what happens? When you become an encourager, you make everybody around you better. It's a beautiful thing to put a new heart in people. It's a beautiful thing to have a new heart put in you, isn't it? What a great thing to have those kind of friends. Let me ask, are you finding and being faithful friends? Are you finding and being encouraging friends? I have to ask though, who needs a second chance? What happens when a friend is untrustworthy? What happens when a friend abandons you? What happens when a friend lets you down? What happens when a friend blows it? What happens when a friend runs away? Do they need a second chance? Well, in Paul's list of people here, we find somebody who needed a second chance. His name was John Mark. He refers to him just simply as Mark in Colossians 4.10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Who's Mark? Oh, he's the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas, by the way, means son of encouragement. I mean, if you want to choose a friend, you just look for Barnabas's. Find any Barnabas you can find. That's the son of encouragement. You're like, that's my man, right? That's that's the one you want around you because that's what that name means in Hebrew. You'd be like, that's that's my guy, that's my buddy. It's got my back. But then you got Mark, he's not Barnabas. He's the cousin of Barnabas. Well, let's find out what do we know from the New Testament about this guy, Mark, John Mark. Well, we find that he wrote the gospel of Mark. Really the, the very first gospel. It's the one that predated all of them. They didn't go in order like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. But Mark wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't even there. But what happened is this. The contemporary historians of that day and age said that Mark carefully wrote the book of Mark as the memoirs of Peter. Remember, Peter is an uneducated fisherman. What's he going to write? Not a lot. So he found someone who will carefully write down the words and the actions of Jesus that we now read in the book of Mark. We find out that his mom hosted prayer meetings in her home. We find that he's the cousin of Barnabas, which we mentioned. We find out that he went on Paul's very first missionary journey. So now, he's, number one, not a disciple of Jesus. Initially, he becomes a follower of Christ, and then Paul gets saved. He was a Pharisee who persecuted the church. Now he gets saved. Well, John Mark goes along with him on the first missionary journey. Well, how did he do? He bailed out. He quit. He threw in the towel. He gave up. He abandoned, actually abandoned Paul on the first missionary journey. It was so bad that Paul refused to even consider taking him on the second missionary journey. That's how bad he blew it. In fact, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over this matter. Barnabas was encouraging for the sake of his cousin, but Paul said, nope, he abandoned me. He doesn't get a second chance. Until Paul writes this in Second Timothy 4:11, he says this: "Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry." This in probably the last book that Paul wrote before his death, he says, "Get Mark." Bring him to me, he's helpful to me in my ministry. So Paul forgave him, commended him, and he came and he stayed with Paul in the later years. Mark should be an encouragement to anyone who has failed at any time. Mark should be an encouragement to you. Mark should be encouragement to me, right? Because we all need a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. We need a second chance. Not write people off too quickly, right? But one of the other guys mentioned here, we don't hear from him again, but we find a pretty convicting statement. It's a guy named Demas. He's barely mentioned here. Well, how did Demas turn out? Well, we find in that same book, 2 Timothy, where he says, Mark is valuable to me. Bring him back. We find this in 2 Timothy 4.10 for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We hear nothing good about Demas from that point forward. Well, let me ask what do I do with my friends who start loving the world more than they love Jesus? Do you have friends like that? Maybe they were in a small group with you, maybe they were in church with you, maybe they were someone who helped lead you to the Lord. But then somewhere along the way, they begin to fall in love with the world and all the world that to offer. And it's compromising their conviction for Christ. They fall in love with the world more than even following the mission of Christ with their life. What do you do with friends in your life and my life who fall in love with the world more than Christ? Let me give you just a, a helpful suggestion, and that's this. You move your friends from your circle of influence which is your core friends, your, your like inner circle. You move them from the people that are influencing you and you move them out one ring to the circle of acquaintance. So you move them from your circle of influence and you move them out to the circle of acquaintance. Now there's some more circles. There's, you know, beyond the circle of acquaintance, there would be just the general populace or like people you don't know yet or, or anything like that. But you're just moving them, why? Because the company of fools suffers harm. And when someone begins to love the world more than they love Jesus, they're going to influence you if they're in your inner circle. So my suggestion to you is not that you unfriend them. My suggestion to you is you simply move them from the people who influence you. And you move them out to where they are your acquaintance, you love them, you're there for them, you show faithfulness but really you're limiting their influence to you. You don't show your whole heart with those people and you don't allow yourself to be influenced because how easy is it for you and me to start loving what they love? Think about it. You love what your friends love. They start loving a certain type of music. You start listening to that type of music. They start all loving the same sports team. You start to like that sports team. They, you and I, we love what our friends love, right? We shop with what our friends buy, and I mean, it's just the way it works. That's human nature, but in the same way that their influence, if they are falling in love with the world more than love with Jesus Christ, they are not going to drag you up, they're not going to encourage you, they're not going to better and be a faithful friend in your life. In fact, they're walking a path of beginning, the path of unfaithfulness. So in your inner circle, the sphere that influences you bring around you the importance of Christian friends. Christ-following friends. I might want to just change that right there because a lot of people say they're Christian, but they're just like Demas. They love the world. They love the activity of the church, but they don't really care so much for following Jesus. Surround yourself in the inner circle with friends who truly encourage you in a faithful way because the friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. It's so important for you and I to have solid friends. That's why, as a church, it's more important for us to be in circles than it is to be in rows, because we need one another. So not only do you need to be a faithful friend and find faithful friends, not only do you need to find and be encouraging friends, but you need to find and be praying friends. Praying friends. We find in Colossians 4.12 that Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Listen, he said this. Paul says, he, will, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So he gives this condition. Listen, he's saying, I've never met you. I'm in chains, but Epaphras is here, and he's one of you, and I want to let you know that he's doing something. Your friend is doing something for you, and what he is is he's wrestling in prayer for you. Literally in Greek, it's the word from which we get the word agonize. Agony. If we get that word in agonizer, agony means not that he's writhing around in uncontrollable pain of agony. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when we agonize, it's the dedication that athletes need to do their sport. Think about that for a minute it's the dedication. It's the routine to go out there and experience pain and conditioning and day after day go to practice and they're, and they're regular, they're faithful, they're, they're after it, they have a passion for it and they're pursuing it and it shows up in the practice of their lives. It's always, he's saying, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. Wouldn't it be great to have a friend who prays for you? Not just hopes good things for you. Not just says, oh sorry, prayers, and they don't really ever pray for you. But that actually prays for you. Well, what does he pray? Does he pray, oh dear Lord, please help me have more friends? Sometimes we pray that prayer, right? God, I need, honestly, I just need a friend. You ever pray that prayer? I have. God, we just need more friends, but let me ask you: sometimes we pray to have more friends than we pray for the friends we have. You know what I mean? We're praying, God, give me more friends. He's saying, have you been faithful with little? Could I make you faithful with much? Sometimes we pray, more to ha- pray to have more friends than we pray for the friends we already have. Well, what does he pray for the friends he already has? Let's look, because I think Paul gives us a great insight in what we can pray for one another. And the first thing he says this is that we ought to pray that, that our friends should stand firm, that means in the midst of being in chains, in the midst of being in a trial, in the good times, in the bad times, in all the ages of life, that you could stand firm. When you feel shaken, when your world kind of pulls away, that you can stand firm, not only in the scriptures, but you can stand as a man or as a woman, that you can hang in there. Second, he prays that they would be mature. And it doesn't mean that they're growing up. Here, i got to tell you a story. We had a friend, Mike and I had a friend, Uh, named Mark. And Mark is still a friend in my life. Uh, But Mark was a guy, when we were in junior high, if you ever need someone to do something crazy or spastic or embarrassing, our whole group of friends would go, Mark, and he would do it. (laughs) He just, he still may be that way. I don't know, right? You know, but like, like we just always go, Mark, well, then what happened? We entered high school. Guess what happens in high school? Well, you start to get mature. And now Mark might start to get embarrassing to all of us because we were now getting cool. Like, we were, like, popular and stuff, and Mark was still in, you know, he was still spastic and in junior high. And, and we were, like, outgrowing him, and we're like, oh, we need to, we need to pray for him. And, and sometimes it became embarrassing for us, so actually a couple of us said, Let, let's pray for Mark. we we got to do something. We like the guy, but it's, this is getting ridiculous, you know, it's, it's hurting our chances. So, so we started to pray. Dear God, please, please help Mark. hmm mature him, grow him up, help him to stand firm. You know what happened? Mark didn't change at all. We prayed for Mark. God changed us. Our prayers changed us. We suddenly liked Mark again. Why? Because we were praying for him. Like his stuff didn't get in the way of our ego that was getting in the way of friendship. How about for you? How often does ego get in the way of friendship? When you and I pray for our friends, all of a sudden we see that we change it. I think it's why Jesus tells you and I to pray for our enemies. Is God going to change our enemies? Probably not. But who's he going to change? Us. How about praying for your faithful friends, your encouraging friends? What would you pray for them? That they would stand firm, that they would be mature. Being mature is not like maturity. It means continuing to grow. Don't just plane out. Don't just hold on to the faith of your childhood, but actually continue to grow in that relationship you have with Almighty God. God that you be mature and less, that you be fully assured. Well, what were they to be assured of? Let me tell you, there are dark nights of the soul. There are times you and I doubt. There are times you and I struggle. Wouldn't it be great to have a friend who would pray for us in those times that we could rest assured in the goodness of God that he's a good, good father, that we could rest assured in the fact that he will give us strength to endure, that we will follow Jesus all the days of our life, and not give up along the way, and not burn out along the way, but that we actually have what it takes to make it, that we can be fully assured. What were they assured of? What's the basis of assurance? The basis of assurance is Hosanna. Oh, Lord, save us. That Jesus on Palm Sunday rode into Jerusalem, not to just have this great life, but to offer himself, As a sacrificing servant, a suffering servant, willing to go to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God. Oh, Lord, save us. We need your salvation. And there are times in our salvation experience that we need, we doubt, or we need hope. And it's then that we rest assured. We have friends praying for us that we would rest assured that our assurance is found in Christ. Why? Because Jesus sought friends who would pray. Do you remember? He went to his friends on, on the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Friends, could you just stay awake with me for, for one hour and pray? Just watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. He's about to get rested. He just ain't just for one hour, could you just pray? He's looking for faithful friends. Jesus is the God of the second chance, that he gives you a second chance and a third chance. And He went to the cross so you and I would have second, third, fifth, hundredth chances that our salvation is in him and not in our effort, not in our works, but we participate with his Holy Spirit. Our salvation is through Jesus. Jesus will put a fresh heart in you Do you realize that that's what happens when you get saved? The moment you say yes to Jesus, that he comes in and he takes your your spiritually dead heart and he puts inside of you a new heart. You were made a new creation. He is an encourager. God's Holy Spirit puts a new heart in you. It's now a spiritually alive heart. Jesus loves you and is the hope for you having a fresh heart put in you. And Jesus is forever faithful. When you and I are faithless, when you and I have blown it, when you and I have run away from him, he is forever faithful. He does not turn his back on you. He does not put his hand out to you. He basically says, I am forever faithful to you. I paid for it all on the cross. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment so you're thinking only about your life. The older we get, the more we become aware of our need for what Jesus did on the cross. We're aware of our inability to control our weaknesses. But thanks be to God that he has prepared a way and a path. And right now, if you realize that you have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, then I'm gonna ask you just to, right this morning, you're just gonna pray very silently or just in your heart, God hears you but you're gonna pray a prayer inviting him into relationship with you, and he's gonna put a new heart in you, and if that's what you'd like to do this morning, then you pray a prayer right after me. Just pray something like this. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Give me a fresh heart. I believe that you wiped away my sin by dying on the cross, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life, and that you are God. And so now, God, I ask you to make me spiritually alive, forgive me of all my sin, and put a fresh heart in me. Because today, Jesus, I say yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.